Section 1 of The Myths of the New World This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. The Myths of the New World by Daniel Brinton. Chapter 1, Part 1. General Considerations on the Red Race Natural religions, the unaided attempts of man to find out God, modified by peculiarities of race and nation. The peculiarities of the red race. 1. Its languages unfriendly to abstract ideas, native modes of writing by means of pictures, symbols, objects, and phonetic signs. These various methods compared in their influence on the intellectual faculties. 2. Its isolation, unique in the history of the world. 3. Beyond all others, a hunting race. Principal linguistic subdivisions. 1. The Eskimos. 2. The Athapaskas. 3. The Algonquins and Iroquois. 4. The Appalachian tribes. 5. The Dakotas. 6. The Aztecs. 7. The Mayas. 8. The Muiscas. 9. The Quechuas. 10. The Caribs and Tupis. 11. The Araucanians. General course of migrations. Age of man in America. Unity of type in the red race. When Paul, at the request of the philosophers of Athens, explained to them his views on divine things, he asserted, among other startling novelties, that God has made of one blood all nations of the earth that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he is not far from every one of us. Here was an orator advocating the unity of the human species, affirming that the chief end of man is to develop an innate idea of God, and that all religions, except the one he preached, were examples of more or less unsuccessful attempts to do so. No wonder the Athenians, who acknowledged no kinship to barbarians, who looked dubiously at the doctrine of innate ideas, and were divided in opinion as to whether their mythology was a shrewd device of legislators to keep the populace in subjection, a veiled natural philosophy, or the celestial reflex of their own history, mocked at such a babbler, and went their ways. The generations of philosophers that followed them partook of their doubts and approved their opinions, quite down to our own times. But now, after weighing the question maturely, we are compelled to admit that the apostle was not so wide off the mark after all, that, in fact, the latest and best authorities, with no bias in his favour, support his position, and may almost be said to paraphrase his words. For according to a writer who ranks second to none in the science of ethnology, the severest and most recent investigations show that not only do acknowledged facts permit the assumption of the unity of the human species, but this opinion is attended with fewer discrepancies and has greater inner consistency than the opposite one of specific diversity. And as to the religions of heathendom, the view of St. Paul is but expressed with a more poetic turn by a distinguished living author when he calls them not fables but truths, though clothed in a garb woven by fancy, wherein the web is the notion of God, the ideal of reason is the soul of man the thought of the infinite. Inspiration and science unite, therefore, to bid us dismiss the effete prejudice 
that natural religions either arise as the ancient philosophers taught or that they are as the dark ages imagined subtle nets of the devil spread to catch human souls they are rather the unaided attempts of man to find out god they are the efforts of the reason struggling to define the infinite they are the expressions of that yearning after the gods which the earliest of poets discerned in the hearts of all men studied in this sense they are rich in teachings would we estimate the intellectual and aesthetic culture of a people would we generalize the laws of progress would we appreciate the sublimity of christianity and read the seals of its authenticity the natural conceptions of divinity reveal them no mythologies are so crude therefore none so barbarous but deserve the attention of the philosophic mind for they are never the empty fictions of an idle fancy but rather the utterances however inarticulate of an immortal and ubiquitous intuition these considerations embolden me to approach with some confidence even the aboriginal religions of america so often stigmatized as incoherent fetishisms so barren it has been said in grand or beautiful creations the task bristles with difficulties carelessness prepossessions and ignorance have disfigured them with false colors and foreign additions without number the first maxim therefore must be to sift and scrutinize authorities and to reject whatever betrays the plastic hand of the european for the religions developed by the red race not the mixed creeds learned from foreign invaders are to be the subjects of our study then will remain the formidable undertaking of reducing the authentic materials thus obtained to system and order and this not by any preconceived theory of what they ought to conform to but learning from them the very laws of religious growth they illustrate the historian traces the birth of arts science and government to man's dependence on nature and his fellows for the means of self-preservation not that man receives these endowments from without but that the stern stepmother nature forces him by threats and stripes to develop his own inherent faculties so with religion the idea of god does not and cannot proceed from the external world but nevertheless it finds its historical origin also in the desperate struggle for life in the satisfaction of the animal wants and passions in those vulgar aims and motives which possess the mind of the primitive man to the exclusion of everything else there is an ever-present embarrassment in such inquiries in dealing with these matters beyond the cognizance of the senses the mind is forced to express its meaning in terms transferred from sensuous perceptions or under symbols borrowed from the material world these transfers must be understood these symbols explained before the real meaning of a myth can be reached he who fails to guess the riddle of the sphinx need not hope to gain admittance to the shrine with delicate ear the faint whispers of thought must be apprehended which prompt the intellect when it names the immaterial from the material when it chooses from the infinity of visible forms those meet to shadow forth divinity two lights will guide us on this venturesome path mindful of the watchword of inductive science to proceed from the known to the unknown the inquiry will be put whether the aboriginal languages of america employ the same tropes to express such ideas as deity spirit and soul as our own and kindred tongues if the answer prove affirmative 
then not only have we gained a firm foothold whence to survey the whole edifice of their mythology but from an unexpected quarter arises evidence of the unity of our species far weightier than any mere anatomy can furnish evidence from the living soul not from the dead body true that the science of american linguistics is still in its infancy and that a proper handling of the materials it even now offers involves a more critical acquaintance with its innumerable dialects than i possess but though the gleaning be sparse it is enough that i break the ground secondly religious rites are living commentaries on religious beliefs at first they are rude representations of the supposed doings of the gods the indian rainmaker mounts to the roof of his hut and rattling vigorously a dry gourd containing pebbles to represent a thunder scatters water through a reed on the ground beneath as he imagines up above in the clouds do the spirits of the storm every spring in ancient delphi was repeated in scenic ceremony the combat of apollo and the dragon the victory of the lord of bright summer over the demon of chilling winter thus do forms and ceremonies reveal the meaning of mythology and the origin of its fables let it not be objected that this proposed method of analysis assumes that religions begin and develop under the operation of inflexible laws the soul is shackled by no fatalism formative influences there are deep-seated far-reaching escape by few but like those which of your astrologers imputed to the stars they potently incline they do not coerce language pursuits habits geographical position and those subtle mental traits which make up the characteristics of races and nations all tend to deflect from a given standard the religious life of the individual and the mass it is essential to give these due weight and a necessary preface therefore to an analysis of the myths of the red race is an enumeration of its peculiarities and of its chief families as they were located when first known to the historian of all such modifying circumstances none has greater importance than the means of expressing and transmitting intellectual action the spoken and the written language of a nation reveal to us its prevailing and to a certain degree its unavoidable mode of thought here the red race offers a striking phenomenon there is no other trait that binds together its scattered clans and brands them as members of one great family so unmistakably as this of language from the frozen ocean to the land of fire without a single exception the native dialects though varying infinitely in words are marked by a peculiarity in construction which is found nowhere else on the globe and which is so foreign to the genius of our tongue that it is no easy matter to explain it it is called by philologists the polysynthetic construction what it is will best appear by comparison every grammatical sentence conveys one leading idea with its modifications and relations now a chinese would express these latter by unconnected syllables the precise bearing of which could only be guessed by their position a greek or a german would use independent words indicating their relations by terminations meaningless in themselves an englishman gains the same end chiefly by the use of particles and by position very different from all these is a spirit of a polysynthetic language it seeks to unite in the most intimate manner all relations and modifications with the leading idea to merge one in the other by altering the forms of the words themselves and welding them together to express the whole in one word and to banish any conception except as it arises in relation to others 
Thus, in many American tongues, there is, in fact, no word for father, mother, brother, but only for my, your, his father, etc. This has advantages and defects. It offers marvelous facilities for defining the perceptions of the senses with the utmost accuracy, but regarding everything in the concrete, it is unfriendly to the nobler labors of the mind, to abstraction and generalization. In the numberless changes of these languages, their bewildering flexibility, their variable forms, and their rapid deterioration, they seem to betray a lack of individuality, and to resemble the vague and tumultuous history of the tribes who employ them. They exhibit an almost incredible laxity. It is nothing uncommon for the two sexes to use different names for the same object, and for nobles and vulgar, priests and people, the old and the young, nay, even the married and single, to observe what seems to the European year quite different modes of expression. Families and whole villages suddenly drop words and manufacture others in their places out of mere caprice or superstition, and a few years' separation suffices to produce a marked dialectic difference. In their copious forms and facility of reproduction, they remind one of those anomalous animals in whom, when a limb is lopped, it rapidly grows again, or even if cut in pieces, each part will enter on a separate life, quite unconcerned about his fellows. But as the naturalist is far from regarding this superabundant vitality as a characteristic of a higher type, so the philologist justly assigns these tongues a low position in the linguistic scale. Fidelity to form, here as everywhere, is the test of excellence. At the outset, we divine, there can be nothing very subtle in the mythologies of nations with such languages. Much there must be that will be obscure, much that is vague, an exhausting variety and repetition, and a strong tendency to lose the idea in the symbol. What definiteness of outline might be preserved must depend on the care with which the old stories of the gods were passed from one person and one generation to another. The fundamental myths of a race have a surprising tenacity of life. How many centuries had elapsed between the period the Germanic hordes left their ancient homes in Central Asia and when Tacitus listened to their wild songs on the banks of the Rhine? Yet we know that through those unnumbered ages of barbarism and aimless roving, their songs, their only sort of history or annals, says the historians, had preserved intact the story of Manus, the Sanskrit Manu, and his three sons, and of the great god Tuisco, the Indian Dew. So much the more do all means invented by the red race to record and transmit thought merit our careful attention. Few and feeble they seem to us, mainly shifts to aid the memory. Of some such, perhaps, not a single tribe was destitute. The tattoo marks on the warrior's breast, his string of grisly scalps, the bear's claws around his neck, were not only trophies of his prowess, but records of his exploits, and to the contemplative mind contain the beneficent art of letters. Did he draw in rude outline on his skin tent figures of men transfixed with arrows, as many as he had slain enemies, his education was rapidly advancing. He had mastered the elements of picture-writing, beyond which hardly the wisest of his race progressed. Figures of the natural objects connected by symbols having fixed meanings make up the whole of his art. The relative frequency of the latter marks its advancement from a merely figurative to an ideographic notation. 
on what principle of mental association a given sign was adopted to express a certain idea why for instance on the chippeway scrolls a circle means spirits and a horned snake life it is often hard to guess the difficulty grows when we find that to the initiated the same sign calls up different ideas as the subject of the writer varies from war to love or from the chase to religion the connection is generally beyond the power of divination and the key to ideographic writing once lost can never be recovered the number of such arbitrary characters in the chippeway notation is said to be over two hundred but if the distinction between a figure and a symbol were rigidly applied it would be much reduced this kind of writing if it deserves the name was common throughout the continent and many specimens of it scratched on the plain surfaces of stone have been preserved to the present day such is the once celebrated inscription of dighton rock massachusetts long supposed to be a record of the northmen of vinland such those that mark the faces of the cliffs which overhang the waters of the orinoco and those that in oregon peru and la plata have been the subject of much curious speculation they are alike the mute and meaningless epitaphs of vanished generations end of section one read for you by chiquito crasto birmingham alabama